you have a Bible with you, we'll be looking at Matthew, or Mark rather, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. If you, can, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the order of worship. We printed part of the text, or you can follow along on your phone or anything else you have. So I say to you, hear the word of God. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he had wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, <laughs> sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come now and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would, um, through the power of Jesus, you would change hearts, that you would change minds. I pray that you would be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. Jesus' name we pray all these things, amen, and amen. Whew. So this morning we're continuing in our series from Mark that's basically uh, we've entitled Be Healed, and we're looking at Jesus healing different types of, of illnesses, and in this case he's healing a, a, a man who's possessed or, or uh, being tormented by demons, a legion of demons and really what we're looking at these healings for is not necessarily as a as a as a recipe for how we can be healed but rather what they say about Jesus and his ability to heal specifically uh, different things and so today I want you to think of something this is going to be a little different as I, as I open up with this question but I want you to think of one of your own personal demons Right, and so what I mean here is not demons in the in the in the malevolent spirit kind of way, which I, I believe that that those exist, 
and that Jesus is going to deal with them today in this text. But I want you to think of something in your own life that you might consider a demon, right? And, and typically, maybe that's some abuse that you've experienced or some kind of uh, something that torments you. Maybe some trauma that you experienced. Maybe it's some sin you committed that you still feel guilty for. Even though you've trusted Jesus, it just seems like it is always there. You think of anything? Right, all of us can. All of us have those things in our lives. Now, why do I bring it up? The answer is this, is because why do we call those things demons? You ever thought about that? It's sort of this pop culture thing. You know, Tommy is haunted by demons of what happened to him in his childhood. He's haunted by demons of what happened to him in the army. Well, I think the reason we call those things demons is because they have the same effect on our lives that actual demons have. In other words, what is the goal of an actual demon, an actual malevolent evil spirit? Well, an actual malevolent spirit, the goal there is to actually separate you from everything that God would have you be. It's to separate you from the very purpose for which God created you. It's it, the, the, the purpose of demons, of, of evil spirits, is to make you doubt the goodness of God. And so even though I don't believe that, that all of our torments and all those things come from actual demons, the, the outcome is very similar. That the traumas in our life, the things that haunt us, all of those things make us doubt the goodness of God. They make us wonder if he's powerful enough to actually deal with these things. And so as we consider this text today, I want you to keep that in mind. Is Jesus big enough? Is he powerful enough? Uh, Is he gracious enough? Is he compassionate enough to actually deal with the things that you and I carry around? And might we actually be free from them? Whether it's an evil, malevolent demon or it's some other thing that torments you, is Jesus enough to help out with that? So we're going to look at three things this morning. Basically, um, we're going to look at at an unclean context, an unfair fight, and an unexpected outcome. Okay, So an unclean context, an unfair fight, and an unexpected outcome. So we consider the, the unclean context here. Let me read to you. Actually, let me read to you verse 40, 41 of chapter 4. It says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, "Then, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So what is just what has come immediately before this, this story of the Gerasene demoniac is the story where Jesus um, calmed the Sea of Galilee. In other words, they were on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said, let's go to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. What would have typically taken about two hours, we we can get from clues of the text, probably took them about eight hours because it says a great storm arose. And so they've been rowing all night. At some point, the, the disciples feared for their lives, and Jesus the whole time was sleeping and they woke him up, you know, sort of, don't you care about us? And he, he sort of gets up and he dog whispers the, the wind and the waves, Psh, be still. And, that's the, and, the, and immediately after that, what I read to you was, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So Jesus and the disciples have had an, an incredibly difficult night. 
an emotionally exhausting night, a physically exhausting night, and now the disciples actually are, are just in sort of mortal fear for because the, who is this that can command the wind and the waves? And as soon as they land on the east side of, of the Sea of Galilee, they step out of the boat and immediately they're met out of a tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. I mean, I don't know, if it was me, I would probably be like, oh, you know, I would sigh. I can't believe this. It never ends, right? I just want to get some sleep. I want to go home. I want to do whatever I'm going to do. But as soon as they step off the boat, Jesus is met by this man with an unclean spirit. And that's a New Testament technical term for a man who has a demon. Now, by the way, in the New Testament, there really isn't anything that, that, um, that's called demon possession. No one is demon possessed. People are, are basically tormented by demons. Or demons, you know, maybe we'd say they, they, they let demons live rent-free in their head or something. They're not possessed, but they are certainly uh, tormented. And they're, they're, they're certainly attacked by demons. And this man was, was attacked. This man was tormented. Now, the people around him, by the way, might not have known that he had a demon. Because we, we look at this man, and we would tend to think, I mean, I don't know any politically correct way to say this. He's sort of crazy, right? We don't know that he's mentally ill. We, we don't know. We wouldn't have known that he has unclean spirit. We can't see it. We'd have probably gone home and said, that, that guy's crazy. And it might surprise you, but people in the ancient Near East, people in New Testament times, they didn't attribute some sort of superstitious uh, thing to, to everything that happened. In, in other words, did you notice what, what, what's going on here? It says, immediately they met this man, and he lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Rabbis had a way. They, they actually had a way to diagnose whether or not people were crazy, that they didn't attribute it always to demons. They would just attribute it to what we would probably call these days mental illness. And what are some of the things that they, would, they had on their list as they were diagnosed to see whether or not people were crazy? Well, let's list them out. They live among the tombs. Check. <laughs> no one can bind them. Check. They run around screaming. Check. They cut themselves. Check. Like all of these things, the, the people around him, we know that they didn't necessarily think it was a spiritual problem because their remedy was simply to tie him up. And the reason they tied him up was really to, to keep him from harming himself and from harming others. And everything they tried, he kept bursting out of. And so finally, they just exiled him to, to, to live in the tombs. Like he wasn't even allowed to come near normal people. Now, what's interesting is the word you hear every now and then, or, or actually quite a bit in this text, is the word unclean. And that's what I think sort of defines this whole scene, is this whole context is unclean. So the first thing we hear is this man has an unclean spirit, right? So he, so he, is, he has a spirit that, that is unclean. And we also know that the east side of the Sea of Galilee was under Roman occupation, and the Romans took it over and they gave it to the Gentiles. And so here's a man who has an unclean spirit, and he lives in an unclean place, right? To touch a tomb or a grave in the Old Testament would make you unclean. So he's an unclean spirit. He lives in an unclean, shall we say, neighborhood, the graveyard. In what would be considered an unclean area, the east side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And so this, no matter how you slice it, this man is unclean. He's got a problem. And on top of all that, he's human, which means he also has a problem of just the fact that he's a sinner and separated from God. Now, did you notice what Jesus did when this man approached him? We're not told, but we're given the impression that he didn't even flinch. So here Jesus has a man who is unclean in an unclean neighborhood, an unclean area, who is a a sinner who, who, who everyone thinks is crazy, and everyone probably, I'm guessing, is afraid of them. He runs at Jesus, and Jesus doesn't even flinch. And that's something you need to keep in mind. That Jesus, how does Jesus handle that which is unclean? Well, he enters into it. Jesus stepped off the boat. I mean, I'll be honest with you. How many of you, if you're, 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 pulling up to the, 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 you're pulling your boat up to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and you saw this maniac running out to see you, how many of you would get off the boat? I wouldn't. I'd say, turn around, John and James. Or at least maybe we can row down the shore a little bit so we don't have to deal with this guy. Jesus doesn't flinch. Jesus actually enters into his uncleanness, and he actually deals with this man. Now, why is that important to us? Because remember the demons that you ha- I told you to think of, and the demons that you and I have, and the sins that you and I have? When Jesus thinks of you, he doesn't even flinch. Those demons don't surprise him. But even bigger than that, those demons don't frighten him. Jesus is not frightened of all the things in your past. Jesus is not frightened of all, this, with all, of all the sins that you, you, you struggle with because he will actually go to the cross and bear them and take them away permanently. You can be forgiven of your sins and you can be cleansed of your sins. Remember, the gospel cleanses us not only of the guilt of sin, but also the power of sin. And Jesus does all of that because of who he is. So he enters that which is unclean. He enters, he faces off with with the, the demoniac and he's not worried because he ultimately will win. And that leads us to the, the fact that there's a really an unfair fight here. And it's unfair because of who Jesus is. Notice what happens next in verse six. It says, when he saw Jesus, this is the 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 demon-possessed man from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. Come out of the man, for he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So the demon does a couple things. First of all, the demon, he's clearly tormented because he seems to be both drawn to Jesus and repelled by Jesus. He seems to be, he, he can't help but run out to, to meet him on one hand. On the other hand, he can't help but sort of confront him. So notice the first thing he says. He says, Jesus, is, he, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? Well, in the Old Testament, the, when it, it, notice it didn't say Jesus, son of God. It said Jesus, son of the most high God. They're in a Gentile area. This man is probably a Gentile, but that is non-Jewish. And in the Old Testament, whenever someone who is not Jewish referred to God, they referred to God as the Most High God. In other words, because they believed in lots of gods, but whenever they came to understand the real God, they said he is the Most High, he's above all the gods. And so this man says, Jesus, son of the Most High God. Now probably what he's trying to do, you see in the ancient Near East, uh, people thought if you knew someone's real name, 
you could control them, at least in the spiritual world. And so you can imagine this demon saying, Jesus, son of the most high God. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Okay, start begging for my life. In other words, he couldn't control Jesus by naming him. And so the next thing he does, he actually sort of prays almost. He says, I I adjure you or I beg you by God uh, not to torment me. So at first he tries to control Jesus and Jesus won't be controlled. And then he tries to, to, to beg Jesus not to torment him. And then after that, he actually tries to intimidate Jesus. Notice that it says, what is Jesus doing during all of this? It says, the man says, I adjure you, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. In other words, Jesus seems very sort of chill here. That Jesus is sort of like, you know, I could do this all day long. Come out. He doesn't cast magic spells. The, the primary way that, that Jesus deals with the demons in this passage and the demons in our lives is he shows up. He is there with them. And notice what the what most interesting part, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Jesus is going to take control. And the man replies to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. That's clearly an attempt to intimidate Jesus. Because Legion, that's the, remember they're occupied by Rome. And in Jesus' day, when a Roman legion showed up, that was about 6,000 people. And when a, when a legion showed up in your town, basically you knew the jig was up. They were big, and they were powerful, and they were almost impossible to defeat. And so Jesus says, what is your name? And he basically says, I am big, and I am powerful, and I am impossible to defeat. My name is Legion, for we are many. You're not dealing with just one demon here, Jesus. You're dealing with thousands of demons. And did you notice what Jesus said? Nothing. Crickets. I mean, we, we don't get to see all of that was going on. I wonder if Jesus laughed. I wonder if Jesus smiled. Really? Thousands? That's all you brought? That's it? He doesn't say anything. And it's one of those kinds of things where you, who's going to flinch first? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And I just wonder if Jesus just stood there and waited. And eventually, Legion cracks. Notice what he says. It says, he says, we're Legion for me or many, verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. Did you notice that Jesus did not even, he didn't cast out a demon here. He didn't say anything. He was just present. And in the presence of Jesus, the demons can't be comfortable. In the presence of Jesus, the the demons feel threatened. And they beg him, please let us leave your presence. Please let us just go into those pigs. And did you see it said? And so he gave them permission. And so they just scrammed. And they went into the pigs, and the pigs ran off of the cliff and into the water, and they died. Now, 
Many people have, people have written dissertations about these pigs. Because the question is, that seems pretty like inhumane, right? That, that you're just going to, doesn't Jesus love the pigs? Or, or, or what about the people who, who, who raised the pigs? Did he care about their livelihood? That would have been a ton of money. Now, on one hand, Mark doesn't, you know, you can only ask really the questions that, that Mark is intending us to, to talk about on one hand. On the other hand, probably the best solution to that question is just this. Remember, Mark, the Gospel of Mark is written to people who are under Roman oppression. And those pigs undoubtedly were being raised and, and, and herded in order to feed Roman troops who were garrisoned nearby. And so there's a sense in which you can almost wonder if Mark is writing this and he's snickering or he sort of writes it with a wink that Jesus not only healed the demoniac, but he also stuck it to the man. And who doesn't love it when someone sticks it to the man, right? That's the best I can do with that. And that's the only reason I can figure why Mark included it. But the fact is, is that demons could not exist in the presence of Jesus. You see, are you, are you tormented by something? Are you, are you, are you, do, do you feel afflicted? Do you have Jesus? And if you do have Jesus, are you letting him enter in and deal with that stuff? You see, oftentimes we, we hold on to these things in our lives and we're afraid to give them up for whatever reason. Maybe they make us comfortable. Maybe they, at least we know these things, whether it's some abuse or some trauma. Will you give it up to Jesus? Will you, will you actually ask him? I'm not just saying that he's going to fix it in a, in a heartbeat like he did with this man. But will you let him start working on it? Because I think you'd be surprised at how much he can do. The outcome here is so unexpected, it makes people afraid. So the demons rush off the cliff, and what do people do immediately? This unexpected outcome, it says in verse 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one, who had the, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it, it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So imagine these, the, the, the herdsmen go running into town. You're not going to believe this. This man, the, the, the crazy guy, remember him? He was possessed. He had thousands of demons, right? I knew it, right? I knew something was wrong there. And this guy comes along, and suddenly the demons go into the pigs, and the pigs rush off the cliff, and all of our pigs are dead. And everyone rushes out. They've got to see this. It's just, it's, it's spectacular, right? Everyone, every crowd wants to see that kind of stuff. And they get out there, and instead of seeing some, some sort of big spectacle, what they see is Jesus sitting beside the formerly crazy guy who was clothed and in his right mind. And they're afraid. Does that sound familiar, right? Because what happened earlier... When Jesus calmed the chaos of the natural world, when he, when he calmed the chaos of, the, of the, the Sea of Galilee and the storm, and he said, peace, be still. Remember what the, the response to that? People were afraid. Who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? You see, just like Jesus was able to calm the chaos of the sea, he's calmed the chaos of this man's life. 
Just like he was able to bring peace to the sea, he has brought peace to this man's life and he has completely and utterly changed him. And people are afraid. They don't know what to do. Because if, if, if Jesus can change that man, he must be incredibly powerful. But not only that, if Jesus can change that man, what's, what's it have to do with me? What, do, do I, what's he, what is he going to do with me? I'll, I, I'll never forget, I be, I, when I was in high school, it's going to surprise you, I got in a lot of trouble. I wasn't a Christian. I'd enlisted in the army. And I was just sort of like, well... I enlisted in the army, so grades don't matter, right? So that made me twice the son of hell that I was before. And at some point, some girls invited me to go to camp in my senior year of high school, and I became a Christian. And it was a complete life transformation. And the whole school heard about it, but the the funniest thing was every Sunday evening, I had a set of godparents. They were from Brooklyn, New York. They would come over every Sunday evening, and they would drink coffee with my, my mom, and they would just shoot the breeze and talk about anything. And I'll never get my mom. It was a Sunday night after I became a Christian. So I'd only been a Christian for like three days. And my mom said, Tommy, tell Aunt Marie what happened to you at camp. And I said, I became a Christian. And my aunt, she put her hand on her head and swooned, and she said, oh, my God, he's become a holy roller. Right? She didn't know what to do with me because I was changed. That's what's happening here, except people are really afraid. And they ask Jesus to leave. Now, we was, isn't that, if you knew someone could do this, why would you ask him to leave? Well, the only reason you'd ask him to leave is because it means incredible change for your life or because you don't really understand it. One guy understands who Jesus is in this passage. And it's legion. It's the man who was possessed by the demons. As you notice, he asks, they begged Jesus to leave. And in verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. In other words, everyone's saying, Jesus, please leave. And, and legion is saying, Jesus, please let me go with you. And that's the language of discipleship. Jesus calls people that they might be with him. And Jesus does something here that up to this point he has not done yet. Remember when Jesus heals someone, what he usually does? He says, okay, I've healed you, now don't tell anyone. Keep it to yourself. Go tell the priest or show the priest, but don't go publishing this around. What does he say to Legion? He tells him the exact opposite thing. He said to him, verse 19, he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Why does Jesus tell this man to go tell people what Jesus has done and he tells everyone else not to? And the answer, I think, is pretty simple, is that this is a a Gentile man, he's not Jewish, and this is a Gentile area. The reason Jesus wanted people not to say anything was around Jewish people because he didn't want them to get the wrong idea about what he had come to do. Here, there's no, no real problem with that. But what we also see here is sort of the secret sauce, if you will, of what it means to be an evangelist. Most people who are Christians from every every now and then struggle with, man, I should really be, quote, doing evangelism. I should be telling people about the gospel. I should be telling people, you know, sharing the gospel with people. And what we see here is actually what Jesus expects of us as well. He tells him, he didn't permit it to go. He says, go home to your friends and family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
That's all it takes to be an evangelist. In other words, oftentimes you think, to, you know, in over, certainly over the last 15 years in our church, people say, man, we need, really, we need to have some classes on evangelism, or we need to have classes on this and classes on that. You know what? I don't really think we do. All you need to do to, to be an evangelist is to be able to tell someone how much the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy on you. Now, the question is, has the Lord done anything for you? And has he shown mercy on you? Can you remember that time? Maybe it's not an exact moment, but do you realize that that God, in the person and work of Jesus, what he has done for you? That he has taken all your sins upon himself, and he has given you all of his righteousness. And he has done it by sheer grace, because he is merciful. That instead of demanding his just due from us, he shows us mercy by giving his only son. All it takes to, to lead people to Jesus is to tell them that. And notice that's what exactly what the guy did. He says he went away and began to proclaim it. And you could also translate that as preach in the Decapolis, which is 10 cities, how much Jesus has done for him. And everyone marveled. That's it. He never had any classes. He didn't have to do anything except tell people the story. In some ways, he didn't have to do anything except be, um, he, he had to tell people the story and God would do the rest of the work. And I, and I know I've told you the story. My wife loves when I tell it. You know, our three, we had three daughters and every time we were, my wife was pregnant, we did what most people do is we went and took classes, right? You take classes on how to, be a, to, to give birth, whether it's Lamaze classes or Bradley classes. And basically, I think it's to keep the husband busy, right? Because you don't really do anything. We take these classes, and, and for our, our third child, we were going to do a home birth, and what do you know, the midwife didn't show up on time? So I had to deliver our third child. And you know what I did? Well, number one, nothing I'd heard about in any of those classes. <laughs> All I had to do was catch her when she came out. My wife did all the work. I just had to be there. I just had to be ready for when it happened. That's all we do when we are evangelists. That's all we do when we lead people to Christ. We tell them the story. We tell them what God has done for us and how he has done it for us. God does all the work, and all we do maybe is we catch. We're just there. Are you doing that? I thought I'd leave you guys today with a challenge. Sometime during this week, to just take a pad and a paper or on your computer, however you do it, and write a paragraph that, that basically can capture your story. That if someone asked you, you know, what, why are you a Christian? You could, write, you could tell them in, in three or four sentences how the Lord has shown mercy on you and see what happens. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you, you have sent Jesus, that, that he is... Um, he is not intimidated by our sin, that he is not um, afraid of our sin. He, he doesn't flinch when he comes into to the presence of that which is unclean, but in fact, he makes it clean. I pray that you would work these truths into our hearts. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.